Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema at Brigham Young University. This podcast is our second of BYU's winter semester 2023. I'm Doug Weatherford, co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by two of my dear colleagues in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese, Greg and Gloria Stallings. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and just to give a real quick introduction to uh, these individuals, Greg uh, teaches as full-time faculty in the department. He's a specialist in peninsular literature and poetry and music in literature and jazz and film. And he's also a, a previous co-director of International Cinema, and he's a frequent uh, guest on these podcasts. We're thrilled to have him. His wife, Gloria, uh, this is her first podcast with International Cinema, and we have a film from uh, Colombia that we're going to talk about today. And she's a native of Colombia, and I thought, well, we need to bring her on as well. And she also teaches in the department. She's adjunct in the department. I think you primarily teach Spanish 321 mm -hmm. for us. Are there other yes. classes you teach as well? 330. Yeah, 330, which yes. is Introduction to Literature. Yes. That's the Spanish house. And, so, yeah. And 18 years and running. So. 18 <laughs> years and running. Service, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, for those of you who know Gloria, know that she is uh, a joy uh, to be around, and she's one Thank of our favorite so people in the department. Mm -hmm. um, Greg and Gloria are also the parents of Johnny Stallings, uh, whose name many of you might recognize because we credit him in our uh, at the end of our podcast for having uh, created the soundtrack that we use in this podcast. The truth is a little bit more complex uh, in that Greg also participated in that. So, Greg, why don't you quickly tell us uh, who Johnny is and how you uh, helped create that soundtrack as well? Yes, um, Johnny is one of two of our musician's sons. Johnny is working on his PhD in musical composition at University of San Diego. And he uh, wrote the uh, arrangement and composed the original music for the theme song. And I'm playing the flute there. That's Johnny on the keyboards. And our other son, Stephen, is on percussion. And Stephen did a lot of heavy lifting to editing uh, many takes. We did it long distance, each of us in different states, believe it or not. And yet it came together beautifully, thanks to Stephen and Johnny. Yeah, well, we, we thank uh, the entire Stallings family for their uh, musical and filmic and literary abilities and for being uh, friends of international cinema. My pleasure. Thank you. And today we're going to talk about uh, a really fun movie, one of my favorite of the semester. I say fun, although the th topic is pretty uh, heavy. It's called The Colors of the Mountain. It's from 2010, directed by a Colombian director, Carlos Cesar Arbelais. Uh, it is part of a series that we have titled Children of Migration, although the film is uh, perhaps unique in that category. We might talk about that in a moment. Uh, I uh, mentioned to Greg uh, just before we started taping that this film to me was kind of like the uh, Colombian sandlot of, for the U.S. movie of a bunch of children who lose a baseball over a fence and have to find uh, different ways of trying to retrieve that baseball in the yard of a neighbor. Uh, soccer ball, actually. And this film, it's a soccer ball. In Sandlot, it's a baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he mentioned to me that he had read a review where uh, another individual had already uh, suggested that that would be the case, right? That this film has some connections to that film. Uh, it is a simple film in many ways. It is about a group of friends, young uh, boys who uh, are schoolmates in a rural area of Colombia, up in the mountains. 
who do love soccer and love to play ball is very simple in that respects. Uh, but the, ter- the film turns uh, much darker and much more serious as we begin to realize that the perhaps uh, uh, idyllic world in which they seem to live at the beginning of the film has been intruded on by a significant violence. And what we would like to do is perhaps ask uh, Greg and Gloria to give us just a quick, uh, simple, it's not simple to talk about uh, Colombian uh, politics and history of the last uh, few decades, but maybe give us just a quick context in which to understand this amazing movie. Yeah, the guerrilla movements, uh, most of them were born in the 1960s and uh, they emerged with uh, contention against a very corrupt government. And so they had high ideals and they had good purposes initially, but quickly they became corrupted, I believe. And, uh, you know, by 1985, there's the terrible attack um, against the Palace of Justice uh, by the M19 guerrilla group. Uh, That happened just days after the end of my mission, dating myself here. (laughs) I ended in October 85. And so I was horrified that, just a couple of weeks later, this awful attack occurred in which 100 people perished, 21 Supreme Court justices died. And so it's a you know, horrible, horrific history of the guerrilla groups you know, existing in the jungles, existing in the highlands. This film takes place in Antioquia, uh, which is a state where one finds Medellin. I know a popular state because of all these narcos programs, so people will recognize the name. Medellin, the Spanish is very unique, they talk with the heavy S. And, um, but it's a very complex history, and Gloria lived through most of this much more than I did. I encountered it a bit my mission, but... Yeah, well, it's, it's, it has been hard to live in Colombia, especially because we don't, we not only have the guerrilla groups, but at the same time we have the narcos groups, so... It was really um, sad sometimes to um, be in the city and hear, you know, that a lot of people died or, you know, something happened, you know, suddenly and we were terrified, you know, usually. But um, luckily the guerrilla groups, they, well, not luckily because for people, you know, in the jungle, they use that side to form the the guerrillas, you know, so they can um, have the access, not only the weapons, but at the same time, they have the kind of people that they wanted to recruit for the guerrilla groups. And those were people from, you know, lower class, children, and people from the little towns and people that really don't know so much about um, the guerrilla, just they talk to them and they say, well, come help us so you can have more money, you can have a better life to live. So a lot of people were, you know, like uh, um, they didn't know the real purpose to, to be in the guerrilla, and they were forced to, especially little children. You know, uh, they were going, you know, like when they were 12, 10, 8 years old. 
And one of the things that uh, I find important about the film is that it doesn't necessarily tell us who is responsible for the uh, primary pressure that this family feels. Uh, it, the film centers on a family with a young boy named Manuel, who's the protagonist of the film. Uh, and you can tell that the family that doesn't want to get involved mm -hmm. uh, is pulled in both directions. You have the army and you have the guerrilla groups, and both of them can commit great acts of violence. Both of them want your support, your complicity, and yet uh, aligning yourself with one or the other uh, can mean, uh, obviously, uh, severe consequences, including death. Mm -hmm. And um, perhaps uh, towards the end, we can talk about the uh, time period that this film is shot, because it is from 2010, and a lot has happened in Colombia since 2010. I think a lot of positive things as well. Uh, but the film does definitely take uh, a, perhaps a negative turn. But Greg, maybe we could um, take this context that the two of you have talked about and put it back into the film, especially with the idea that uh, we have these child protagonists, and especially Manuel, and much of the film is shown through their eyes. And that does color the ways in which we learn as an audience about the, this violence that plagues Colombia at this time period. Right. Um, so the film, that's a beautiful point. The film really does reveal from the child's perspective or focalization um, these horrific events. And so the armies are on both sides are kind of faceless. We don't really know <laughs> which of the groups or factions they may be. It could be the FARC, ELN, um, et cetera. And uh, the army could be the official army or the paramilitary. But we know something's up and the poor father is being torn. And since the very beginning, he's kind of receiving an offer he can't refuse, <laughs> but he's to refuse, which is come join us on Sunday for our meeting from the guerrilla group that sweeps through periodically. And he keeps saying no, although he knows the consequences will be terrible because they'll probably disappear him if he keeps saying no. However, if he says yes, even a few minutes with them will be fatal because the military or paramilitary will sweep through and do something horrific to him and his family. So, And yet it's beautifully shot and um, we hear voices on the other side of the door. Or we see gazes through the shutters. Everything's kind of shadowy. I think the color hues are magnificent in this film. We see verdant greens embodying the natural spaces, symbolizing this sense of freedom that's taken away from them. They should be free. <laughs> and yet we know that literally two or three million people have been displaced throughout the past few decades or now many decades, six decades, because of cases like this. We watched a documentary recently and they talked to an old guy that had said, had been displaced six or seven times, completely displaced, like everything taken away as happens to these families in this particular family um, in this really tragic film. And the colors are really beautifully portrayed um, in the cinematography, I think, expressing the wonder of the children. The, the little boy, um, Manuel, who's a child actor at the time named Hernan Ocampo, um, gives one of the best performances I've ever seen of a child actor. Um, also, the albino little sidekick, Poca Luz, is magnificent. <laughs> These child actors are not actors, actually. As far as I understand, none of the performers are professional actors. And yet, especially this, uh, the main character, the little boy, uh, Manuel, is an artist. 
he draws in class during math class. <laughs> and yet you know, that expresses his creativity, his innocence, his beautiful gaze on the world, which is captured by the beautiful cinematography, the sound design as well. We hear crickets chirping and we uh, hear the uh, sound of bird song constantly. All this kind of denotes the wonder of innocence that will be robbed soon because of this horrific warfare right next door to them. And that's the point <laughs> to Manuel. The most important thing in the world is getting back that soccer ball. Right. <laughs> and yet to me, there's a parallel tension because I'm kind of gasping, right. We're watching it recently. We're like breathless as they <laughs> tried to maneuver the little albino boy, poke loose to retrieve the uh, ball uh, in a minefield. And the motions are parallel, I think to the suspense mm. that the parents are feeling. And so yeah, it's the child's point of view, and yet their emotions, their affects are parallel to what the parents are suffering. So it's a really beautiful film. And, and, the, and the emotion as well, one more thing before I defer to Gory here, is um, I thought it was fascinating to read a few reviews recently where one reviewer, many reviewers were saying, this film is so funny, it's hilarious when they try to retrieve the ball. <laughs> Another one said the exact opposite. <laughs> they were like dying of suspense, they were breathless. And I think both emotions are possible because historically, right, it's a very complex emotional, right? And to experience. kind of flesh that idea out just a little bit, uh, is that this brand new soccer ball that they've gotten to replace yeah. one that's kind mm -hmm. of flat. Uh, it's, it's kicked down into this field just off uh, from the uh, soccer, dirt soccer field where they play. And uh, when a pig, pig runs through uh, and is blown up, we realize that that little area has been mined. Right. And so when we go back to the idea that this is the Colombian sandlot, right? right. Sandlot, there is a lot of humor and it's right. seen through the eyes of children. And it's, it's almost glorious the ways in which uh, the director was able to uh, play with the idea that we're seeing this world, this dog, uh, this lost ball through the perspective of a, of a young child. But here we know that a misstep uh, can mean death, yeah. right? It's right. It's where that uh, that uh, comparison turns uh, really, uh, really starkly. Um, and I might uh, just point out before, because I know Gloria has some things that she wants to say as well, um, but. Uh, uh, for those of you who saw it, International Cinema last semester, one of my all-time favorite Brazilian films, uh, The Year My Parents Went on Vacation, yeah. if you saw that film and liked it, uh, one of the things you probably liked about it is that it was shot during the military dictatorship of Brazil, and it was shot from a child's perspective. So what the film tells us specifically about what's going on in Brazil at the time is minimal. Right? We don't get long lectures or developments of this violent time period. We get the lost innocence of a child who sees glimpses of an ugly reality that he doesn't quite fully understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this film that you'll love that perspective as well. You don't have to know everything that's going on in Colombia at the moment to understand uh, the horror of children that are slowly learning about a brutal world around them. Yeah, that's a great point. And really quick, you're making me think of arguably two of the most <laughs> beloved films, often taught films in our Spanish department, which are The Spirit of the Beehive and Hans Labyrinth, which, and also The Devil's Backbone. And all three of those right. masterpieces have the idea, right, of the focalization of warfare from the point of view of a small child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> 
I think one of the most important thing in the movie too was the teacher for me. And the because she portrays the impossibility that those children get an education. Um because um you know because the gorillas they don't want you know these kids to know to it to get educated and to really have dreams in their lives and get an education. But the teacher is is he plays an important role right there when she discovered that Manuel has this passion for the arts. And is you know when I see that mural, it you know I almost cried in the movie because that that painting, that mural is representing the creativity also mm. that the, the, the children have and probably is the the way that they can, you know, canalize their suffering and their situation. But um at the same time the teachers it's another teacher that gives up those dreams for those children because she knows that they can kill her too. So it's, it's really sad this part for me. At the same time, you know, they made something artistic that, you know, they didn't care in that moment that they will get killed because of that. It gives you hope. And I, I think that's the most powerful moment in the film, even though it lasts a few seconds, but that beautiful mural painting over a black and white message from the gorillas, which, which is violent and mm -hmm. horrific, and yet it gives us hope and color, restores color to the world. And uh, that teacher, Carmen, gives another great performance as well. And uh, one of my favorite parts in the film as well is, even though it's so, so tragic and sad, is the day she gives up and she puts her head down in her arms after struggling for so many days to make a difference and tells the students, okay, a la casa, like go home. And they all start laughing, right? And she says, no, really, go home. And all of a sudden, their countenance changes. And I think, again, it's that ambiguous emotion of a tragedy that the film conveys so beautifully. Yeah, and I, 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 I thought that um, education and the school was uh, one of the most interesting mm -hmm. um, places and motifs yes. throughout, right? And this idea that, you know, at the very end of the film, when uh, Manuel says, uh, um, a profe hasta mañana or something like that. Yeah. You realize there's not going to be a mañana, right? Yeah. There's not going to be a tomorrow yeah. because yeah. one more teacher has been forced to leave because yeah. she too wanted to create kind of the school as a safe place where the children yeah. can learn. Yeah. And speaking of, of that, of spaces, I really thought that there were three really important iconic spaces within the film. There's the soccer field. Yeah. There's the home where Manuel lives and then there's the school. Mm -hmm. And I thought we might talk about those spaces and what they mean. I already mentioned that I thought that the film almost plays idyllic, right? And even the relationship between the father and the son seems really yeah. healthy. Yeah. And this house and where he's growing up, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's humble, certainly, but it's safe. It's, uh, it's inviting. And, and then things turn. So speak, thinking of those spaces, what did you, how did you see Gloria 
perhaps uh, the importance of soccer, school, and home in this film. Well, in my country, soccer is a religion, too. <laughs> like in <laughs> South America, you know. Right. I grew up playing soccer, being a woman. I, you know, even I train my kids to, you know, to, to be um, soccer players. And uh, I, I, I was doing with another little team in, in Lindon. I, uh, but, you know, soccer is uh, the way so important for the kids, especially to relate it between them. They have something positive to do, to dream about it, you know, because they, they you know, this, this idea that the soccer is a religion for us. So mm -hmm. they want to have, that's why when his dad gave it to him, the, this, you know, soccer ball, for him, it was, Dad, you love me so much, <laughs> yeah. so much, because you sacrifice, you know me, that I adore this, and you give me this as a gift. So and it was so important, yeah. especially in his birthday. Yeah, they didn't have so much, you know. He could say, you know, just I give you this book, study, but he knows that really his son loves soccer. Um, probably another thing is... Um, the school, you know, that's why Manuel is kind of rebellious. Like he doesn't want to <laughs> study. He wants to paint because he loves painting. At the same time, the teacher knows that the most important thing is to learn, but realize that at the end, she realized, no, I'm not going to do that for Manuel. I'm going to, you know, support him. And she goes somewhere and brings this, another gift that is so important for Manuel, that is the painting. So not only soccer, but he receives the painting. The only sad, of course, at the end is his house. And, but I think he really knows that eventually he had to give up that dream about his dad, yeah. about his family. I think inside, and as a Colombian, we always have this fear every day. When I came to the United States, I was relieved from that fear. Every day when you walk on the street, when you go in a bus, when you, you go somewhere, you have this fear. You walk with fear in Colombia, you know, no. that you can become the subject of a robbery or somebody can kill you, somebody can do something bad to you. And in all three of these spaces, right, that seem so inviting at the beginning, right, the, the soccer field becomes a, a minefield. The yes. uh, school is painted yes. on the outside of the walls. The guerrillas, as well as the paramilitary forces, will paint little threats yep. to the village on the side of the house. They I mean, to, excuse, school. They want to meet there as well. Yeah, and they want to meet there as well. And then in the house that was such a safe, uh, mm -hmm. inviting place, right? It too, at the at the end of the film, yeah. or probably giving away just a little too much, mm -hmm. uh, but also is is um, uh, is uh, penetrated right by this mm -hmm. violence. Right, I, I, and I love the idea that I'm soccer sacred because I'm 
having a flashback <laughs> uh, of my mission, which was in the 80s and hasn't changed that much culturally, still the same, that they really have three religions culturally, I, to me, are three, you know, sacred traditions, which is education. Education is highly valued. Ch children's education, when they can be educated. I remember trying to teach families and constantly, oh, the kids are studying, come back in five hours, come back in four hours, right? <laughs> Gloria's in there as well. Soccer, religion as well, so the soccer field. And the house, there's a careful kind of light motif or re repeated image of the sacred in the house, sacred pictures, not to give too much away, but when they evacuate, finally, we know what's going to happen, right? Sorry, <laughs> listener. They can't take a lot. And they're stuffing their bags with these really big portraits of Jesus, the Virgin yeah. Mary, to kind of convey that they are leaving the most sacred space of their lives, which is that sacred house that they killed themselves to maintain as really poor rural farmers. And precisely, as we said at the beginning, it was the farmers till this very day that the guerrillas kind of prey on attack and rob their children and convert them right. to military persons, etc. So the theft of the sacred is a really important, the loss of the sacred. And, and I love this conversation about soccer because last semester we had a theme in international cinema about right. soccer. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't even think at that time about this film, but it just uh, so happens that soccer is important in this film as well. Um, uh, perhaps uh, before uh, we end talking about uh, perhaps uh, cinema in Colombia and maybe a recommendation or, or two of some films that maybe you can see if you want to explore this topic a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I do want to bring this back to the topic of, uh, of children and migration, mm -hmm. um, because up to this point, and, and we kind of have to talk about the conclusion of the film, mm -hmm. because this is really a film about a family, a, a boy and his family that try to stay. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and it's not until the very end they too leave. Uh, but Greg, maybe you can tell us something about uh, the importance of the of the theme of migration on this film. Yeah, I mean, so many displaced people. It's, it's incredibly tragic. Um, I just think it's been something that has caused so much suffering in the Colombian people and open wound to this very day. We hear a lot in the news in the past decade about, um, you know, the peace treaty with the FARC finally and the M19 guerrillas becoming, you know, an official part of the culture, even the politics. The current president of Colombia, Gustavo Petro, was a leader in the M19 movement. He uh, was drafted into the M19, I think, at the age of coincidentally 19 years old, right? <laughs> 17 years. 17 years old, even younger than that. And so, you know, this displacement, this migration of children, you know, you, you meet people in Colombia and you often don't know their rich history, but they tell you their story and it's often, you know, marred by this tragedy of, you know, being displaced. And, uh, yeah, it's an open book. I mean, the president of Colombia uh, a few years ago in 2016 won the Nobel Peace Prize for... <laughs> The accomplishments of this peace treaty, which took a long time, and I highly admire Juan Manuel Santos. And yet, you know, returning to Colombia, I haven't been for a while, but Gloria went with our kids and our sons going back in a month. Uh, one realizes that it's not resolved at all, right? And some of the guerrillas are still out there. The ELN, I think, has not signed a peace treaty. They're still out there in uh, Chuco and other parts of Colombia, out in the jungle, and 
little whippers, causing contention and looking for some kind of solution to corruption. And so, yeah, it's still an open wound and it's an unresolved history. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I was going to, I'm glad that you talked about, uh, you know, the uh, Nobel Peace Prize in 2016, because it, it seems to me that one of the biggest challenges that any country has, but especially one like uh, Colombia, that uh, where the conflicts, political conflicts in the country have been so violent, uh, so devastating, is uh, can you as a country uh, forgive your enemy enough to move forward uh, and leave that violence and that animosity behind. And I, I think that the political situation in this country uh, might, uh, uh, we might ask ourselves as well whether we can do that. But there seems to be such division in this country. Uh, but in places like Colombia and Peru and Guatemala, it, it's so much more present. Uh, and in fact, uh, I, I just want to suggest that if you like the colors of the mountain that uh, you really also need to watch one of my favorite South American films from Peru. And it's called in Spanish, La Teta Asustada, The Milk of Sorrow. It's by Claudia Llosa from 2009, about the same time period, uh, just a year uh, earlier than this film. And it, uh, it also deals with kind of this attempt to find balance and peace and a new beginning in a world uh, that has been so devastated. And, uh, and I think that there is, there are a lot of positive things to say about what's going on in Colombia and in Peru, but there are also significant challenges to this date. And I applaud uh, filmmakers who try to represent the challenges and perhaps find uh, uh, solutions to uh, multi-generational problems. Great. Um, so, Maybe, uh, I don't know if you guys have a recommendation. I just gave one. I've given two, right? The year my parents went on vacation and The Milk of Sorrow, two great films. Uh, do you uh, two have other recommendations for somebody who might like Colombian cinema, South American cinema? Yeah, for sure. Um, the major director in the past uh, few years is named Ciro Guerra. And uh, in fact, I see presented one of his films in the fall of 2019. I had my students go. And uh, it's definitely kind of an edgy film. It's a film that's, you know, not feel good. It's not for popcorn and Coca-Cola per se. Um, it has some kind of troubling moments and yet definitely has this vision of uplifting poor people, children, um, a critique of social tensions with the so-called modern world or you know, the first world, United States, especially, um, and its legacy in Europe as well. Embrace the Serpent, really rich, multi-layered, and um, historically and temporally complex film. It takes <laughs> place in two different time frames, so definitely worth watching and re-watching. I had to watch it several times to kind of start understanding some of the things that go on. That same director really quickly, another <laughs> film that was shown here recently, The Wind Journeys. Yep, last year. Times. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's, which yeah. is Vajinato music, and it has kind of a magical realist kind of string going through it. He's got some newer things, too. Birds of Passage from a couple of years ago, which I've seen a little bit of. Um, really interesting. It's more of like a mafia film uh, <laughs> taking place in the 70s with the drug war. And uh, a Netflix film, or program, rather, uh, Netflix series, The Green Frontier, which I just discovered recently. So I'm going to 
spend some yeah. time with that soon when I have some time perhaps <laughs> in the summer break. And, uh, and one more, if I can, a uh, film that I saw a few years ago and forgot about, The Land and Shade was shown here a few years ago, and it's kind of a slow movie, but I think it's even closer to Colors of the Mountain than these other films because it has to do with people that are suffering, farmers, and you know, kind of victims of a system they don't really quite comprehend. So, oh, great. Gloria, I don't know if you have something. I, I have a question for you uh, oh. if you don't have a movie that you want to recommend. <laughs> but I do recommend Ciro Guerra as well. And before I ask you a question, I'll just mention that I am really attractive to, attracted to nascent uh, film industries. Uh, Colombia is a country that has a long history of making films. But it's significantly smaller than the industries, for example, in Brazil or Argentina and especially Mexico and Spain. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, recently they might make, uh, you know, two or three dozen movies through the entire year. And to me, uh, it's just such a privilege to be able to see movies from countries where uh, cineasts struggle to make movies, uh, but also to see an industry that feels like and I think the Colombian industry falls into this category, feels like it's beginning to flourish. And, and I think take the opportunity to see the colors of the mountain. Uh, and, and I think you'll enjoy it. Gloria. Okay. So in the last few podcasts, we've done a kind of a rapid question uh, series mm-hmm. just to kind of, do you prefer this or that? We're not going to do this in this time, but I'm going to take one of the questions that I asked my colleagues, Marie-Laure Oscarson and Mark Olivier, and just ask you to develop it a little bit more. And that is Coco or Encanto. And the reason I ask, of course, <laughs> I'm a Mexicanist and Coco obviously is set in Mexico. Great animated film. Uh, Encanto came out more recently yeah. and it's set in Colombia. So tell us quickly, which one should we watch and which one should we prefer? Well, I think there is no one that is better than the other. They are different. You know, of course, because they reveal uh, their own culture. But at the same time, when I saw Encanto, I said, no, por favor. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do that? What did you sing like that? um, But I would love to see more our culture, like real culture. I love the magical realism because we live like that with magic every day. We believe in that, in magic. But at the same time, they could show more our culture in Encanto. So, so I love it. And um, when I saw for the second time, I, I like it more, a little bit more than the beginning. And um, probably because I saw the arepas a little bit <laughs> and the music, you know, with Vives at the end. And Vives, Vives. Carlos Vives is one of my favorite <laughs> singers from Colombia. And he had a, an amazing concert here in in Salt Lake City, and it was incredible. The white people that attended, and they were dancing and <laughs> drinking and, you know, having so much fun. I would like to see more of that kind of music in the movie, you know, because Great. Colombians, we love to dance and we love to, you know, party. We, like uh, Gabriel Garcia and- Marquez, he said when one, two, or three Colombians are reunited. 
we had parranda. <laughs> and, and it's true. And he wrote and, that about the kidnappings. He said, <laughs> right. <laughs> we know that the notorious kidnappings in the 80s and 90s, that they would get together with the kidnapped and the, right? <laughs> and the gorilla or whatever kidnappers and they'd start dancing right even though people were handcuffed yeah, and we, yeah. <laughs> it's a dance culture yeah. for sure i saw the documentary about the girl was and they were having you know the music you know our music and they were having fun and you know sometimes i say what is the reason that we are so divided mm. if we share so many beautiful things and yeah. and Great. it's sad that, but that is the reality, though. Great. Well, that, I think, puts a great end on, on our conversations, although I have to admit, since we're celebrating Colombia right now, and I'm a huge Tour de France fan, I have to mention that, as well as soccer, Colombians are great at bicycling. <laughs> oh, yes. <So. laughs> it's so true. So, yeah, we're well, so proud of training, that. All the training in the Andes, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, yes. They can withstand any race after that. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, uh, Gloria and Greg, for being with us today. Thank you for inviting us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today as well on From the Booth. This podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our sound engineer, Hayden Underwood, and Johnny Stallings, there he is again, who composed our podcast soundtrack. Visit ic.byu.edu for upcoming films and showtimes. Until next week, keep seeing great international movies.